The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. Persecution is not something you run away from. It's not something you run toward and desire. It's just within somehow that marvelous will of God. What you do with it gives it its positive or negative value. He has seen the persecution of believers firsthand and has spent his life in missionary service. Nick Ripkin is our first-person guest now, and I'm Wayne Shepherd. You'll hear my interview with Nick in just a moment. We have an interesting list of upcoming guests joining us in the weeks ahead here on First Person. I'd like to invite you to listen each week. Not to be missed is the start of two programs featuring historian David McCullough as we lead up to this year's 4th of July celebration. You'll find the complete schedule of upcoming programs at firstpersoninterview.com. Nick Ripkin and his wife Ruth have served for over 32 years obeying Christ's command to share Jesus across the globe. They have lived in Malawi and South Africa. Later, they moved to Nairobi to begin work among the Somali people. And for many years now, they have journeyed globally among people whom, when they give their lives to Jesus, face increasing persecution for their faith. Nick is the author of The Insanity of God and other books and has much to say to us about the state of the persecuted church. So, let's get to know this missionary veteran. Well, I'd like to say that uh, Ruth and I are both PKs. She's a pastor's kid, and I'm a pagan's kid. Oh, okay. And Ruth, Ruth can't remember not knowing Jesus, uh, having missionaries in her home growing up. And I came to Christ. Uh, my dad came and got me off a baseball field and said, I've got good news and bad news. I said, what's the good news? He said, you got a job in the cheese factory uh, that you applied for this summer. So you can go to college. And I said, what's the bad news? He said, you start tonight. Oh. And so I started that night at 7 o'clock to 3.30 in the morning for my last 12 weeks of high school. And I think having everything stripped away from me, that in that factory, working by myself, maybe 50 yards away from anyone else after a few weeks, um, three times in an hour, I thought someone had snuck up behind me and Clearly, uh, just a conversational voice said, Nick, are you tired of running away from me? Are you ready to follow me? And the third time, just in the deepest parts of my heart, I knew that was the voice of Jesus. Wow. And I knelt there and gave my life to Christ and uh, uh, went and uh, first two pastors I went to told me I wasn't a Christian because God doesn't speak directly to people anymore. I wasn't upset. I just knew what happened to me, and I had no idea of Christian history. And a third young pastor I went to said to me, it looks like Jesus has a hold of you, and, and began to mentor me and uh, had me cancel um, my scholarship. I still regret that in a way, uh, to University of Kentucky to be a veterinarian. And he said, you have to go to the Baptist college to be a pastor. And I said, why would I want to do that? <laughs> He said, well, it sounds like to me you want to be full-time in the gospel. I said, I didn't know I could be (laughs) part-time. And and so that was my beginnings in Christ. And uh, he told me to read a chapter from the Old Testament, New Testament. And I asked him, what's an Old Testament? What's a New Testament? Growing up in the center of the Bible Belt, that's uh, how much the church had ignored my family. Mm. I think 
reading Matthew 28 for the first time and reading it as a command of Jesus to go to the nations. And ever since then, knowing how much my family uh, was left outside the kingdom of God, I have an insatiable desire for people to hear who haven't heard. And actually, when we get there, Ruth actually knows what to do. That is a tremendous story. Thank you for sharing that. And now you've spent the last four decades plus of your life uh, on the mission field, fulfilling that great commission as far as you are concerned, doing what the Lord has asked you to do. Uh, share some of those experiences just briefly with us. And, and, and the fact is that God has given you a window on persecution, unlike many others in the West. So you can bring that back to us and help us understand what's going on. And God's graciousness and wisdom he allowed us to go to malawi which was one of the most responsive places in the world uh the only reason people had not believed is they had not heard and we saw hundreds and hundreds come to christ but we lost the running battle with malaria uh, ruth and i and our two boys i almost died from it and they moved us to south africa we worked under apartheid uh, for eight years living in a black homeland and that was on me because if I had not dealt with the racism that was in my soul, I don't think that God would ever, we would not be talking right now. Okay. And, and there was a, a time where Ruth and I realized that uh, South Africa, though millions are still lost, had had workers like us for almost 300 years. And we wrote the word missionary on a piece of paper and uh, uh, read the book of Acts together and wrote down for us that, a worker sent out one with someone that goes and tells those who have little or no chance to hear. And two months later, we're in Kenya. Uh, and two months after that, I'm in Somalia in the height of civil war and famine. Uh, we're feeding in six months later, 50,000 people a day, wow. resettling refugees, burying 20 kids a day in there for six months before we ever met a lady over 13 that had not been raped uh, eight to 12 times. Just everything that could happen in a civil war and famine and among a people who had been ignored by Christians for 2000 years, maybe 150 believers in Christ out of 10 million Muslims. And uh, they systematically hunted them down as we would hunt a rabbit animal in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And they killed four of my best friends on one day. And uh, by the time we were kicked out, 150 believers had been reduced to four. I begged God, I begged mission boards, I begged secular organizations. Uh, Jesus said, go as sheep among wolves. I have a doctorate in theology. My whole training taught me how to be a sheep among sheep. And so we went to believers in persecution asking them, how do you make Christ known in places where a person like us, persons like us, just by being our friends, they could be murdered? even Muslims, and, uh, and we sat at their feet off and on for 10 years. I did it full-time for four years, Ruth and I did, and we've ended up going to 72 countries, sitting at the feet of believers in persecution. It takes about five to seven filters people to even get one interview uh, because these folks are a moving target. They mm -hmm. have to be that careful, and, and uh, we probably sat uh, five, 10,000 hours at their feet, uh, listening to their life stories, learning from them, not only how to be wise sheep among the wolves, but I think more than anything, how to love 
how to love those who are actually driving the nails yeah. into your hands, yeah. your feet, and your side. It's a remarkable life that you've led, uh, that, that God has led you to, and how you've served him, Nick, you and Ruth. Um, of course, the Great Commission still stands, doesn't it? Uh, but what is, what is the role of the missionary in this day and age? Well, I think your listeners might be interested in interacting with the fact that their culture, if they are in a Western culture, uh, I give them an A plus for raising up a pastor teacher. I give them a D minus for raising up an evangelist and church planners. Mm. We do a good job helping the sheep stay among the sheep. And we yet today we have, uh, depending on who you read, 2.5 billion to 3 billion people who do not have a verse of the Bible, not a spiritual song, not the Jesus film, not a missionary. There are going to be believers in all of these places. In the darkest places Ruth and I have gone, believers have come out of the woodwork up to us, maybe 15, 20 over two-week period, saying we love Jesus. And so we always find believers everywhere we go. God's not waiting for us to show up. But God himself, it seems like, Wayne, it seems like that God in his sovereignty has decided that God by himself does not plant churches, hmm. that God does himself does not call the bride to the groom in a way that there is a house church or whatever you might call that. Uh, and, and God has taken that awesome, terrible, wonderful risk that with his children, that the bride of Christ is called into being when we are obedient to go. And for 2.5 billion plus people, there is no body of Christ. There are believers there. They're scattered. They're alone. They're afraid. And what we are to do is to go and be that evangelist, that church planter, with the pastor teacher always being a local person. We, yeah. we don't have that right. Yeah. We don't have the going right. We confuse call with command. Mm. Command is for every follower of Jesus, yeah. and call is to a specific place or season of life. Well said. Thank you. How shall they hear if no one goes, huh? Absolutely. Wow. Nick, you've seen such incredible things. You've you've seen great suffering. Um, do you ever uh, turn to God and say, God, why? Why is this going on? I, I do that for lost people. Uh, and I, I understand, again, why the world is the way it is. Because if people are left alone without Christ, the Old Testament remains their world. But in studying the Bible as a new believer, I found as believers were later to remind me, because I, was, I almost had it taught out of me in, in Christian schools, that in the Bible, persecution is normal, and that the number one cause of persecution is people coming to Christ. Where there's a great witness and a great harvest, there's a great suffering. And it's not half, it doesn't have much to do, brother, with politics. The dividing line between persecution and no persecution is whether or not we witness. If there's very little witness, there's very little suffering. There's not anything to persecute, really. If 93% of us in America who are baptized were born in the church. But I think the question should not have caught me off guard because it's what we do. But after sitting with these folks, what I remember is their faith, not their persecution. Right. 
and uh, and I remember their faith in Jesus and their love for each other. And uh, but again, they told me over and over again, "Don't you dress it up? Don't you make persecution fun? Don't you dare uh, encourage people to seek after it? Persecution is not something you run away from. It's not something you run toward and desire." It's just within somehow that marvelous will of God. What you do with it gives it its positive or negative value. But it is, it is, uh, I've been with people that have been uh, a year to 33 years in prison, and your kids grow up without you, and you, you miss the, the, the best years in a way with your wife, and, and uh, they'll do things to you. Uh, mentally and emotionally that uh, cannot be made right until you get in the presence of Jesus. And the emotional, uh, psychological scars uh, almost always are more terrible than the physical scars. And so there's so much to learn from them. I remember one guy said to me, I took great joy that I was suffering for Jesus in a prison in my country so you would be more free to share Jesus in Kentucky. And that just took my breath mm -hmm. away that he was holding Satan hostage in his own backyard. Because uh, Satan can't be all places at all times. And that it wasn't my government buying me freedom of witness. It was my brothers and sisters in chains. We have more to learn about the persecuted church. And we'll continue this conversation with Nick Ripken in a moment on First Person. Hi, I'm Ed Cannon, the president of the Far East Broadcasting Company, and I'd like to invite you to join us on our podcast, Until All Have Heard, where Wayne Shepherd and I will take you on a virtual tour around Christian ministry in the most unreached places in the world to see what God is doing through the ministry of the Far East Broadcasting Company. So listen to the new weekly podcast, Until All Have Heard, from FEBC. Listen at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms, or go to febc.org. My guest is Nick Ripkin. Nick is the author of The Insanity of God, The Insanity of Obedience, The Insanity of Sacrifice, a devotional. Um, Nick, these are days of transition for you. The calling remains the same, though, right? Do you feel the call, the call has not changed on your life? No, the body has. Yeah, <laughs> I know you've gone through has. some surgeries, yeah. right? But but you're in the states. You're traveling about. Your your message is to let us know in the West what the true picture of the church around the world is. And I mean, they're praying for us. That's what amazes me is in the midst of their suffering and persecution. And I've I've bumped into this myself. They are praying for us, which is just humbling, isn't it? Yes, and I'm going to risk something with you. Okay that we might have to unpack another time. But we follow believers all over the world, and the ones that are, I think, unwisely rescued and brought to the West, after 10 years, say, for instance, if we follow and keep up with 10 believers who have scars on their body and scars in their soul and have been willing to die for Jesus in their people group of origin and their family of origin, Ten years after being in the USA, out of ten believers who have been rescued, one of them is still practicing their faith. Oh, sad. Wow. Because wealth, and they will say to me, when I say this to a group, 
the Americans will be incredulous and think that the malaria has scrambled my brain. And yet that Chinese lady, that East European or whoever they may be, will stand up weeping and say, listen to this man, listen to this man. It was so easy to see the choice between dark and light, evil and good, Jesus and Satan and our country of origin. But in your country, you have so much good stuff. How do you choose the pearl of great price from a bucket of pearls? How do you choose the treasure in the field when your whole field is full of treasure and you have so much that is good? How do you choose the great when you are all the rich young ruler? Was it hard for you to accept this changing role for you now? Oh, yes. Especially health-wise. And I understand the malaria and the dysentery and uh, the typhoid and cholera. And all this takes a toll on your body. And uh, it's not just the rough roads. It's no roads. And, um, and I, I really thought we would just either be able to be buried on the mission field. I mean, it wasn't a fixation with me, but I, I, I just thought that maybe somewhere in my mid-70s or 80s that uh, we could come home and, and, uh, and be with the kids for a couple years. But coming back to America, Ruth and I have owned a used car uh, in, in 35 years after our son died. We came home, and for a year we uh, healed and... and uh, and then for two years, we, we started going among believers in persecution and went back to the field. And, and yet now, uh, uh, with the help of friends, we built our first house. We have a couple cars and we're paying taxes and having to get insurance. And uh, I just never knew uh, how easy I had it on the mission field <laughs> and how hard it is to have stuff. <laughs> I'm not managed. I'm not managing my stuff well. <laughs> you are the total opposite of the rest of us, what we think and feel. That's amazing. We worked with a financial guy some years ago. He's a Catholic brother, and he's just a wonderful. They've just been, he and his wife, great to us. And, and we took this financial test and came back in, and we both live on a missionary salary. And 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 uh, and we came back in. He He's laughing, and he says, uh, you are in the top five of richest people in america i said how in the world can that be he said you have no debt ah yes right and so here on a missionary salary with not a piece of property uh i have a i had a horrible credit rating because i had no debt i had no credit card debt and and him telling me i'm in the top my wife and i were in the top five percent of the richest people because we had no debt that for families and pornography for men are the two biggest things probably that keep people from the mission field. Mm, sad. Hey, uh, you're not sitting on your hands. I mean, uh, no, sir. You, you, you were very active. Oh, no. Let's talk about what you are doing. Tell me about this music video that's just come out. Well, Ruth and I still stay booked up about a year and a half to two years ahead. And uh, uh, COVID, of course, has been very hard on our ability to get out and about. But some years ago, our mission board sponsored about 35 uh, people from Nashville area and, uh, and other places from the Christian music industry, uh, writers of Christian music, uh, artists, 
and brought them into Richmond, Virginia. And Ruth and I told stories from the persecuted church, believers in persecution, the church in suffering. And then they wrote songs in the afternoon. And I asked if I could set in. And I found that to be just down my alleyway and hmm. so creative. And, and so uh, uh, Erskine and Matt Papa and another uh, artist, uh, she, forgive me, I, I can't remember their name right now. And we're sitting there and I told the story of a guy in Central Asia who had killed a lot of people uh, who had invaded his country and couldn't get the blood off his hands. And just through a series of dreams and encounters, uh, Jesus took the blood away from him and and how he had been so tortured and beaten and stuff for the faith in Christ. And, and after six hours of staring, uh, not seeing him standing under a bare, bare light bulb, I said to him, thank you for, you know, your life story. And this is a quick, you know, summary, but mm -hmm. I said, you've told me that your wife and children are believers and that you've baptized them and, but they never entered the story again for six hours. And uh, uh, how do they figure into your ministry? And he jumped out of the potted plant he had hid behind <laughs> and grabbed me. And I thought, my goodness, I'm a dead man because I have all his story in my head. And, <laughs> and he shook me and he said, how can God ask it? I've given him everything. And what I fear in the darkness of the night is that God will ask of my wife and kids what he's asked of me. How can he ask it? And the scars are still raw. We have just buried our son who died of an asthma attack on Easter Sunday morning, eight days after his 16th birthday in Nairobi. And uh, so I chose to tell him about our son and other parts of our story. And this toughest guy I ever met uh, threw his arms around my neck and wept and said, get away. I'm going home. I'm going to get my wife and children. Because what I had done I'd ask him, is Jesus worth your life and the life of uh, your wife and the life of your children, a conversation my wife and I would had and the conversation we'd had with our boys. And he said, I'm going to go get my wife and my children and, and I'm going to involve them in what I'm doing because I have no right to cheat my wife and children out of the joy of suffering for Jesus. Wow, wow. And, and from that, when we told Erskine and others that story, is he worth, you know, is Jesus worth it? That became the genesis of the song, Worth It, that, that Erskine now so yeah. wonderfully sings. Music and musical taste change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Absolutely. There is a bit more to this conversation with Nick Ripken, and you can hear it when you go to our website, firstpersoninterview.com. We'll talk about reaching people with today's media. That additional part of our interview can only be heard at firstpersoninterview.com. And we will place a link to Nick and the ministry he has today at the same website, firstpersoninterview.com. These interviews would not be possible without the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC broadcasts in 50 countries of the world, many of them in places of persecution, as we've discussed with Nick today. To learn more about FEBC, join us for our podcast, Until All Have Heard, which you'll find in all of the usual podcast places, but it's also on the website, febc.org. That's the Far East Broadcasting Company at febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. 
Join us next time for First Person.